Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, it's great to see you. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church, whether you're streaming with us online, you're here in person, or maybe this is your first time joining us. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Scott, and we are in a series right now called Hidden Realities. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at things that we can't necessarily see with our eyes, but we know are real. We've been looking a lot at the spiritual world. We've talked about spiritual warfare. We've looked at our enemy. We've looked at demons and angels. We've talked about the hidden reality of God's Holy Spirit. Again, Hopefully what we're learning and we're seeing is, yeah, we live in a physical world, but there is another world that's just as real and just as important, if not more important than the physical world we live in, and that's the spiritual world. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the hidden realities of God. And then next week, I want to finish this up and I want to look at the hidden reality of pain and what our pain can tell us. Even though we can't see it, we know it's there what it can do for us, how it's not always necessarily a bad thing. So why are we talking about the hidden realities of God? Because what I want to do is I want to see if we can kind of get rid of some of those, if you will, misunderstandings there are about who God is, right? And the reason we need to do this is because if we don't have a good understanding of who God is, we don't really have a good understanding of who we are. Because if you know anything about the Bible, it teaches us that we were made in God's image, right? So if we don't have a good view of ourselves, we don't have a good view of God. If we don't have a good view or understanding of God, we don't have a good understanding of who we are. And that's going to kind of skew the way that we live our lives and the way we carry out our lives. So how do we figure out how God is or who God is? And one of the best ways, according to the Scripture, is to look at Jesus, right? Jesus was sent. One of the reasons Jesus was sent to this earth was to truly show us what God is like and who God is. As a matter of fact, look at Colossians 1.15. Now, all the Scripture verses we use are on the Church Center app. If you've downloaded that to your phone or you can scan the QR code, In your seat back, if you're watching online, they'll send you a link. But Colossians 1.15 says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So uh, if we want to know what God's like, we simply look to Christ. And if you think about the life of Christ, man, he accomplished so much while he was here on earth. But one of the greatest things he did for us was to show us a picture of who his heavenly father was and what God's like. A real visible image of the invisible God. And all through the scripture, he, he kind of teaches us uh, realities about God that may have been uncertainties that we had about God prior, right? And, and so, Here's the very first learning I want you to write down. Uh, One of the things about God that people think about God, often God is viewed as being 
extremely powerful, but very far removed. Now, Jesus dispelled that. He showed us that's not true, but a lot of times people see God as this superpower, this God who's just, you know, waiting to dish out his punishment and his wrath on us as soon as we mess up. And God's certainly not up close and personal. God, uh, Jesus showed us that's just not true, right? Jesus was incredibly personal. He was generally uh, uh, meek and, and he, was, he was mild. But unfortunately, that's the picture that a lot of us have of God, or we grew up with God, or it's a picture a lot of people have of God today. But if you look at the sacrifice of Jesus, if you look at the love of Jesus, he, taught, he, he showed us that's not true, that God's distant and that God's so far removed from us. He's truly up, up close and, and personal. Now, something else Jesus told us was that God was his father. Right? That's what got him in trouble with a lot of the Jewish leaders, which we're going to look at in a minute. But he also told us that we need to think of God as a father. Right? We've got an earthly father, but to think of God as a heavenly father. As a matter of fact, the Greek word is pateras for father, and it's used almost 700 times just in the New Testament. Just in the New Testament. So let's look at John chapter 5, verse 18. And this is, this is where Jesus got himself in trouble, saying that God was his father. That really set them off, talking about the Jewish leaders. The Jews were now not only out to expose him, they were out to kill him, talking about Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, putting himself on a level with God. This was a problem for the Jews, because Jesus is saying, hey, uh, you know, God's my father making himself equal with God. But, you know, it wasn't just a problem for Jews back then. It's a problem for people today when you say that God is your father. God's your heavenly father. People, that doesn't sit well with people, especially people who didn't have a good relationship with their dad. Right? And, and you use that term father or dad or daddy, and they didn't have a good relationship with their dad. It's just not a positive thing for people. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you. So you're going to have to bear with me a little bit, but maybe your dad was absent from your life. Maybe your dad was unconnected or your father was inconsistent or he was never there when you needed him. And now you hear somebody like me say, well, think of God as your heavenly father. You know, your natural tendency is to compare your earthly father to your heavenly father, right? And you're like, well, if my earthly father is like that, then God must be like this. And that's where we get a lot of those misconceptions or uh, misunderstandings about who God is. And I get it. That's a natural line to draw. Oh, I'm just going to associate my earthly father with my heavenly father. So maybe a better way to think about this instead of, okay, think of God as your heavenly father. I'm going to get you there. But in the meantime, let's look at probably a more real question. What kind of father is God? And if we have an answer to that, what kind of father is God? It may be easier for us to accept the fact that he is our heavenly father. Again, the reason this is so important to understand the hidden realities of God is because if we define God 
incorrectly, we're going to approach life incorrectly. And we're going to do things in life that God says we don't need to do. Or we're going to worry about things in life that God says we don't have to worry about. We're going to carry our past and we're going to deal with fears and we're going to do all these things, feel guilty about things that we don't need to feel guilty about. So let's look at another truth about God. So we know he's not just waiting to dish out wrath, that he is up close and personal. Here's something else, learning number two. God is trustworthy and unfailing. Now, people think God's not trustworthy. They think, well, God will fail me. He's fickle. And the reason people think that a lot of times is because God doesn't work on our schedule, right? God doesn't answer my prayers when I need them to be answered. He doesn't respond to me when I need him to to respond. So he's not trustworthy. He's not consistent. He's not reliable. And anytime we say something like that about God, Ultimately, you know where that comes from? It comes from our enemy, what we talked about week two. He's the one that's constantly whispering in our ears things that aren't true about God. And he's been doing that from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take you all the way back to the very beginning of the scripture, and we're going to look at when Satan was whispering in the ears untruths about God to Adam and Eve. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 verses three through five. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, that's typical of Satan. He, he hears what you think God said, and then he'll twist it. And he turns the truth of God into a lie. And so ultimately, when we say God is not trusting, or he's untrustworthy, or he's, fa- he's going to fail us, or he's fickle, that comes from Satan. It's the oldest trick he's got in the book to continue to whisper lies about God into our ears. Now, if you're familiar with the beginning of the scripture and Adam and Eve, what's Satan doing to them? He's tempting them, right? How many of you have fallen into temptation? No, I'm just kidding, right? We all have. We all have. We've all been tempted. We've all fallen into sin because of that temptation. And the amazing thing about what he's doing here and the amazing thing about temptation is there's two parts to it, right? The first thing he does is he gets us to doubt God. And then he deceives us. It's kind of a two-part process. So if God says that he's reliable, for example, Satan tries to get us to think God's unreliable. Or if God says, I'm trustworthy, Jesus demonstrated that he's trustworthy, then Satan tries to get us to think he's untrustworthy. Oh, he's not answering your prayers. He's not responding to you. So the very first thing he does is just simply plant a seed of doubt. If I can just get them to doubt God just a little bit, then, then I've, I'm, I'm reeling them in. And then he deceives us. Is that really what God said? Is that really what God meant when he said that? Right? Or he'll say something like, it's okay. It's not going to hurt anything. Go ahead and do it. Everybody's doing it. Nobody has to know what you're doing. You know, we look at the life of Jesus, and it's very evident 
He was incredibly trustworthy. And he's a reflection of our Heavenly Father. It's very clear he was unfailing, that he could be counted on. He was reliable. That's how God is. Maybe you're not feeling right now that God is all that reliable. Maybe you're going through something difficult. Maybe you're going through a divorce, a separation. Maybe you're trying to have kids and and you're having no luck. Maybe you've got a health issue or you've just experienced loss in your life or you've got a financial issue or you're, you're looking for work and you're like, God's not that reliable. He may seem distant. He may seem like he's miles away, but I can assure you he's consistent and he can be trusted, and he's unfailing, and he's with you, even though you may not feel it. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Now, some translations say that God never changes his mind. Going back to this point that he's incredibly consistent. Now, why do we think God sometimes changes his mind? Because that's one of those misunderstandings about God. Well, we can read in the scripture where it says uh, that God regretted creating man, right? Well, that's him changing his mind. No, what the scripture is trying to communicate with us is God regrets our sin and the sin of man. Or we'll look at a passage where God does not bring wrath and destruction on a group of people because they repent. Everybody said, well, that's clear. He changed his mind. And that's not God changing his mind. That's simply God being consistent, consistent in his character. Malachi 3.6 says this. I love this. I am the Lord and I do not change. That's why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. So here's what we need to understand. God changes his treatment of us in response to our choices. Does that make sense? He changes the way he treats us based on how we choose to respond to things in life, but he doesn't change. He's consistent all the time in his dealings with us. He's consistent in his character. His character doesn't change. His holiness doesn't waver. So we can be rest assured that he's consistent. Now, you may have grown up with an unpredictable dad or an inconsistent dad, and you've just assumed that's exactly what God's like. He's pleased with me one day, and he's not pleased with me the next. No one wants to live life like that. But because we've bought into that image that God's inconsistent, we don't want anything to do with him. We don't want to talk to him. We don't want to pray to him. We don't want to open our lives to him. We don't want to let him be a part of our life. But he does not change his mind. He's absolutely trustworthy. He's absolutely unfailing. He's not the type of father that's going to say, well, I'm going to do this and then doesn't do it. Here's something else we need to know about God. Learning number three, God is a loving father who cares about me. He cares about you. He cares about me. Not only is he consistent and trusting and unfailing. He cares about us, the details of our life. Matthew 10, 29, what's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground 
without your father knowing it. So if God cares for the birds and all the animals, certainly he cares about us. Certainly he knows the details of your life and the details of my life. Yet here's how we think. Well, how many people are on the earth now? Like six and a half billion people. We think, well, I'm just one out of six and a half billion people. How does God know what's going on in my life? Listen, there's nothing too insignificant in your life that God doesn't care about it and know about it. There's nothing too small in your life that God doesn't want to be involved in. He wants to be a part of our everyday lives. As a matter of fact, the rest of that passage, Matthew 10, 30 through 31, and the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. He's just showing us how much we mean to him, how much our heavenly father uh, cares about us. If you think about it, if you don't think God cares about you, how that's going to be a terrible existence, discouragement, you know, depression. Uh, you're going you're gonna to become pretty down in life. But Jesus demonstrated through his life that God truly cares. And he doesn't want to know us from a distance. I think sometimes we're the ones that put that distance between us and God. He wants to know us up close and personal, but it's our choice. We have to choose. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. Notice what Jesus said in John 14, 23. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. You can't get any closer to God than God living within you. You know, we talked about the Holy Spirit. He's never far away from us. So he's unfailing. He's trustworthy. He's up close. He cares about us. Here's something else. Learning number four. God is compassionate, protective, and understanding. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers what? Compassion on all his creation. He's compassionate. He cares about us. He's sympathetic to what you need. He's sympathetic to what I need. He understands us. And everything he does for us, guess why? Because he's compassionate. Out of his compassion for us, out of his love for us, that's why he does everything for us. That's why we have all the things that we have. Do you realize if it wasn't for God's compassion on us, we would have nothing? Everything we have is because of him. God says, I want you to enjoy life. I give you all these things, all these gifts. But he also says, I don't want you to abuse them. So that second part of that learning, he's protective of us. And sometimes God puts restrictions on things or guidelines on things to protect us. And that's where we get all out of whack. That's where we're like, what? You know, why is he putting these restrictions on these things that he's given us? That's unrealistic, right? How many of us have bought into that? That misunderstanding about God, he's got too many rules. He's got too many restrictions. He's got too many guidelines. Probably a lot of us, especially if you grew up in a church where all they told you every single week was what you were doing wrong and how bad a person you were and how you were missing God's mark all the time. We kind of have this understanding that God's just this God of rules. 
that he doesn't want us to be, you know, happy in life. And this isn't a new thought pattern. We go back to that story we looked at in Genesis. And and in Adam and Eve, same thing. You know, what's God keeping from us? Right? And if you know the story, God created the Garden of Eden, perfect paradise, and he puts Adam and Eve in it. And he said, this is yours. This is all yours. This is all goodness. This is all paradise. This is total pleasure, total delight, and it's all for you. You can eat anything you want from any of these trees. There's just one thing I don't want you to do. There's one tree that I don't want you to eat from, but the rest, it's yours. So let me ask you, was God being unrealistic and saying you can't have this one when everything else was theirs? I don't think he was. Was he being overbearing or unreasonable in his limits? Saying you can't do this, but all the rest of this is yours. And I know where a lot of people think, it's like, well, why, why did he even put one restriction on Adam and Eve? Why didn't he just open the whole thing up for them? Why did he say they couldn't have the fruit from that one tree? And God wanted to give us a choice, right? Something that we have, and we've talked about before, is free will. We have the ability to make choices in life, right? And God gave us a choice from the very beginning. And what does God always want us to choose? To love him, to follow him, to trust him, right? And, you know, I always use the example of love. When you choose to love somebody, they know it's real. Right? You can't force somebody to love you. I command you to love me. Right? That's not going to work. But when they choose to love you, you know it's real. Man, this person loves me. That's the way God set it up. I want them to choose to love me. So he gave us a choice, and he gave them a choice. And he said, you can have all of this, just not this. And what did they go after? The just not this, right? It's typical. That's what we do. They went after what they couldn't have. So let's look at that. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. God took the man and set him down in the Garden of Eden to work the ground and keep it in order. God commanded the man, you can eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. I love that, the message, you're dead. And then Satan comes along and says this, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What's he doing? He's trying to make God seem unreasonable to the woman. Oh, he's got too many rules. He's got too many restrictions. Think about it like this. Those of you that have kids, our kids do the same thing. You could let your kids get up on Saturday morning and eat candy for breakfast. You could let them watch cartoons till noon. And then they can play video games till the afternoon. And then you could let them have a friend over to spend the night. 
But the moment you tell your kid no, what do they do? Oh, that's not fair. You got too many rules. You never let me have any fun. You're a terrible parent. I hate you. Right? It was so funny. After we finished the first service, we're standing in the lobby, and this lady is with her kid, and her kid is yelling at her, that's unfair. You, you won't let me do anything. And I was like, see, <laughs> right there, she's preaching my sermon, and the mom's just laughing. But we do the same thing to God. So let me ask you this. If you're a parent, are you unreasonable when you tell your 16-year-old daughter that she's not going back out at 1130 at night? Are you being a killjoy when you tell your eight-year-old that it's 10 p.m. and they need to go to bed? No. Are you being a stick in the mud when you tell your 13-year-old kid that they're not going to watch an R-rated movie? No. What are you doing? You're just simply putting guidelines, some boundaries in place because you're protecting them, right? Because you love them. That's what God does. He gives us so many gifts, and when he puts one little regulation in there, we think he's crazy. We think he's unreasonable. Think about sex for a minute. Wow, some of you just woke up. <laughs> hey, welcome to Blue Ridge Church. My name is Scott. So good to have you here today. Yeah, I told you guys it work in the second service just like it did in the first service. But think about sex for a minute. The world today says God is ridiculous in his guidelines on sex. But God knows better than we do, right? Or think about alcohol. That's a touchy subject in church, but we have the freedom to drink alcohol. We don't have the freedom for drunkenness. And people say, well, God's putting limits on that. Ah, he's just a party pooper. He's just being unreasonable. Or better yet, think about money and think about time. God says, bring a portion back to me. Bring a portion of your money back to me. Bring a portion of your time to me and give it away. And we're like, that's crazy. This is mine. I worked for it. This is my time. It's the only time I've got. God's unreasonable. Does God know better than us? Yeah, think about it. Especially that last example. When we give a little something of ours away, whether it's monetarily or we give some of our time to somebody else or to serve somebody else, what's that do? Takes the focus off of us, doesn't it? Keeps us from being so self-centered and so much about ourselves. And it's a good thing for us. How much different would our lives be if we simply followed those guidelines? Those of you that have kids, how much simpler would your life be if your kid would simply follow the boundaries and the, the rules that you have in your home? Be a heck of a lot easier, wouldn't it? That's the way God is. Lamentations 3.22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Anytime God says no to us, he's just simply protecting us. And it's because he loves us. Psalm 37 verse 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you a miserable existence. No. And he will give you you, your heart's desire. Does that sound like a stick in the mud? Does that sound like somebody who has too many guidelines? No. First Timothy 6, 17, 
Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So contrary to popular belief, God's easily pleased. He's not unpleasable. He's very pleasable. But some of you grew up with parents that weren't pleasable. Let's just admit that. And if you, if you made the team, you made the team, they wanted you to be first string. And if you made first string, they wanted you to be captain. It was just never quite good enough. And some of us think that's the way God is. He's always disappointed in me. Maybe you feel that way today because of a path you've been down in your life or because something you've done in your life. Well, I'm always letting God down. He's never happy with me. We need to remember God acts in grace, right? He gives us what we need, not necessarily what we deserve, and he loves us unconditionally. And he's gonna do what's best for us. So I think the question we need to ask is, what do I need to do to please God? What do I need to do to please God? What do I need to do to be accepted by God? Right? And I hate to break it to you, but there's nothing that you can do to be accepted by God except to accept what he's already done for you. That's the only way. We accept what he's already done for us, and that's Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We only have to accept Christ to be accepted by God. How cool is that? Ephesians 1, 4. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. When we have a relationship with Christ, the picture of God, God's pleased with us. Romans 3.22, we are made right with God. How? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter where we've been. Doesn't matter what's happened in our life. If we accept Christ, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we're made whole. We're new. We are clean. We're forgiven. And you may not comprehend this, but God's desire is to have a relationship with you. But again, go back to choice. We have to choose, right? Mama can't choose for us. Our sister or brother can't choose for us. Our grandparents can't choose for us. We have to choose. See, God wants to be the father that none of us ever had. You may have an off-the-charts, incredible, awesome dad. Best dad in the world. But your dad still can't be God, right? God is unfailing. He's trustworthy. 
He's close to us. He cares about us and he loves us. He's compassionate towards us. He's protective of us, but he also understands us. Jesus' life while he was on earth modeled all of these things to show us truly what our heavenly father looks like. The crazy thing about God, he'll never lie to you. He's never going to use you like your friends or people at work may use you. And God is never disappointed in us when we're following him. Think about that. You ought to get up every day and say, God's not disappointed with me. So I'm going to challenge you. Now that we know some of the hidden realities about God, make that choice to trust him today. Make that choice to invite Christ into your life. That's the only thing we can do to be accepted by God is to accept what he's already done for us. Let's pray together. God, thank you, first of all, that you even give us the opportunity to have a relationship with you. Thank you that you're caring and you're compassionate. And most of all, that you love us, that you're never disappointed in us. Maybe you're watching today or you're here today and you've never thought about God as your father. And now you know what kind of father God is. And the way to a relationship is through Christ. If you want to invite Christ into your life today, I'll lead you in a prayer to do that. Just pray from your heart. Just say, Jesus, I know why you came. One of the reasons you came was to show me what God's like. But you also came to pay for my sin, which separates me from God. So as best I know how, I'm inviting you into my life. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to lead me from this day forward. Make me the person that I want to be, that you want me to be. God, thank you for sending Jesus to make up the difference for my sin and your perfection. Help all of us, Lord, no matter where we're at on this faith journey, to always seek the truth about you, the reality of who you are, that you're our loving Heavenly Father. We love you and you praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So next Sunday is, first of all, it's daylight saving time ends, so you get an extra hour sleep, so there's no excuse not to be in church. No, I'm just kidding. Um, maybe you're traveling, maybe you're going to be gone, maybe you just want to lay at home and watch it. I, I, I think I might do that too. Um, but it's, it's Celebration Sunday, so we celebrate baptism, which you just saw. We celebrate child dedication, which you just saw, and we celebrate communion together as a church family, and we'll finish up our series as well. So if you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to do it next weekend. You can do it at the 9 o'clock service or you can do it at the 1030 service, whatever works for you. But that's basically when you tell the world, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. Christ was baptized. We follow Christ in baptism and we're telling the world, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, some of you, you're, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, I was baptized as a baby. You know, do I need to be baptized again? And all the examples in Scripture when people were baptized was after they had invited Jesus into their life. 
So, again, that doesn't undermine or do away with your infant baptism or your baby baptism. Why did your parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles have you baptized? In faith, hoping that someday you would grow up and invite Jesus into your life. So if that's something you would like to do, we would be honored to be a part of that with you. You can sign up on the connection card, or you can simply stop by the hub and sign up. Or child dedication, that's when mom and dad say, you know what, we're committing to God, we're going to raise our kids in a Christ-centered home so that hopefully someday they grow up and they have a relationship with Christ. And you, we're going to do child dedication too. So uh, parents with kids, if you'd like to sign up to do that, I want to encourage you to do that. Listen, I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a great Halloween tomorrow with your kids, celebrating, eating candy, whatever it is. Grab a donut on the way out. Thank you guys so much for being here. God bless you. Have a great week.